1 John chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4. Having heard that I'm going to be teaching on general epistles in the book of Revelation, I thought maybe I ought to preach from a general epistle and maybe teach from the book of Revelation. So uh, a lot of the prep work has already been done for me. But I'm also... uh, uh, preaching through First John very slowly at my church. Um, there are, we're, we're overseeing a work in um, North Carolina as well, and so I preach there every other month. And when uh, my co-pastor is not with us, uh, I preach from First John. And then when I go down, I, I preach it again. And so I've been slowly working through First John myself, and so it's fresh on my mind as well. Hopefully, as we proceed, you will see why Psalm 16 was, in my opinion, perhaps the perfect scripture reading to coincide with 1 John 1, 1 through 4, especially verse 4 leads us to this climax, these things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. And that's how Psalm 16, verse 11 ended, that he's giving forth to them the paths of life. You've made known to me the paths of life, In your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. It's almost as if the the author of 1 John, whom I take to be the Apostle John and and David of Psalm 16, understood something that we need to grasp a hold of, that there is fullness of joy to be had. What our text, I believe, does in 1 John is draw out what I'm calling that apostolic link to joy. And what's interesting is you've already experienced it. I've been experiencing it as I worship along with you. Maybe you don't even realize it, and that's okay. I hope to unpack it a bit for you. But we've been undergoing this apostolic link to joy. If you're in Christ, if you are uh, uh, truly justified, and you've been ministered to already from the Word of God, you understand what it is to have the fullness of joy because you're here rejoicing in the Lord, worshiping with the saints, in whom is all your delight as Psalm 16 says. I'm getting ahead of myself already. Let me back up a little bit and and pose a question to you. This is a hard question that that someone asked, and and I did not have a complete answer. Maybe uh, your pastors have an answer that they've thought through. Those of you who are readers, you might have an answer to this. But I was asked recently, what are the three most important, pivotal, influential books that you have ever read? That's a hard question. Now, you don't even have to be a voracious reader and still understand that that is a very difficult question. For me, I I, I had no problem coming up with the first two, especially as uh, I I came to faith when I was 19 years old. I began my Christian journey in a very fundamentalist Baptist church setting, and so um, there were books that became very influential leading me out of that into Reformed theology. So for me, I had two of the three ready to go. You've already been hearing some of them uh, if you were here for Sunday school this morning. The first one was Jonathan Edwards' book, The Ends for Which God Created the World. That book told me that there is a, there's a big God theology that I needed to grab hold of, that if I understood why am I here to bring God glory, what, what's the, the opening of the catechism, at least the Westminster Catechism, I, I, I don't know if you which Baptist catechism version you use, but... Uh, There's one version that adds in the first question. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. By the way, I want you to keep that in mind because that's Psalm 1611. 
joy, pleasures forevermore. That's 1 John 1, 1 through 4, uh, verse 4. Our joy may be made complete. That is what we're driving at here. This is a Jonathan Edwards kind of theme here. We are created to worship. We're created to enjoy God. And that book had a tremendous impact on me. The second book probably is not going to be on any of your reading, well, it's not going to be on your top three, and it might not even be on your reading list, but some of you it might, and I hope it would be. It's a fantastic book. In fact, uh, our brother mentioned G.K. Beale uh, when I was speaking to him earlier, and we spoke about uh, G.K. Beale and his work in the book of Revelation, and while uh, this, this Reformed scholar was working on his, his 1,200-page commentary on the book of Revelation, he thought, let me stop and write another book. And it's that book I'm referring to, The Temple and the Church's Mission. If you've ever read that book, or even there's a, a, a 30-page article that is uh, kind of a distillation of what all is in that book, that book has had such a profound impact on me that helped me understand that the Bible is driving towards this idea that how we have that joy because we're created for the glory of God is to be in the presence of God, and God's presence is manifest in the Bible through this theme of temple. This is why I asked for Psalm 15 to be read. What was Psalm 15? Who can ascend the mountain and who can go into the tent, the tabernacle? That's tabernacle language. That is all throughout Scripture. We are called to ascend to the mountain. We are called to enter the presence of God because it's there we will have our fullest joy. Now, that third book, I have no idea. I've I could not think of a third book. I don't know if you have three books, uh, Pastor Hodson, if you have three books that come out that, that are your top three, I don't have a third one yet, but those are my two. And Psalm 1611 is a, a verse that is just so cherished to me because I want to know what it is to have a pleasure that does not end, a joy, a fullness of joy that is eternal. And Psalm 1611 told us that it is in the presence of God, because that's what we were created for. We were created to worship God, to image God, to reflect his glory. It's in his presence where he tabernacles with us that we have the fullness of joy. This is what John says in 1 John 1.4. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete, or as other translations might put it, that your joy might be full. You might have a a complete joy, a joy that is fulfilled. Now, if you're like me, you live in a sin-tainted world, and life, life happens. And life happens in such a way where it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of joy, that you've been lacking joy, or trials occur. And yet you're called to joy, and you're told that there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy? You're told that there's pleasures and that they're eternal, that they're forevermore. I want to get a hold of these because life is hard and it hurts and there's pain and there's misery and there's sorrow. And you come here this morning perhaps hoping to be ministered from the word of God and having having given a prayer of confession and having the assurance of pardon, you've been reminded that the pathway to this joy is through Christ. Well, as I continue to study scripture, having been influenced by Edwards, getting a big God theology, and then having been influenced greatly by G.K. Beale and that idea of the temple, that theme of temple, uh, it it permeates scripture. Maybe it doesn't jump off the page to you, but 
For me, it was, it, it was like uh, the, um, the illustration I give is if you've never owned a certain kind of vehicle, but then you do, you, you, you own, I've never owned a Ford Mustang, and whatever you think about Ford Mustangs, it doesn't matter. But I imagine that if I were to buy a Ford Mustang and drive a Ford Mustang, I'd probably notice there's a lot of Ford Mustangs on the road. I remember this happened when I bought a Chevy Equinox once. All of a sudden, I saw Chevy Equinoxes everywhere. I play a game with my children. I have four kids. We play Peep-a-Jeep. Jeeps in Virginia, at least in my area, are ubiquitous. At least they seem so now because I'm looking for them. And we say a game, you know, Peep-a-Jeep black and whatever. We will go from my house to the church, and we will probably see 15 different Jeeps. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about the, the, the small Jeeps that you see. I don't know what it is if you have those around here. What I'm trying to get at here is once you realize, once you notice something, you see it everywhere. And this is what this theme of the temple, the presence of God, and, and experiencing the joy of God, and what we might even call the beatific vision, it's everywhere throughout Scripture. And I don't have time to convey all of that to you because Let's be honest, we don't want to be here for a, a week just listening to one sermon. But I do want you to understand that this theme is pervasive through Scripture, and I want to just draw your attention to one passage, maybe you've not considered it before. One place that greatly highlights the great theme of God's presence being, I hope for you, Christian, your highest delight. Where you can say, my joy is complete. I have pleasures forevermore because I have and am knowing and experiencing the presence of God. That is what is being hinted at and even addressed in verses 1 through 4. Now, what gets missed in our text this morning, I keep saying this morning, this, this afternoon, is the logic of this passage. John's logic does not leap off the page like maybe the Apostle Paul. John writes in a style that is, let's just be honest, it's confusing. He's repetitious, and he says things that doesn't seem to make sense for us. But I want us to look at this passage and look at the logic of the passage to help us see how the Christian, while we live in this present evil age, yet also part of the age to come with new, the new covenant inaugurating new creation among us with Christ, how we might even now experience fullness of joy. It's a, it's a logical progression how we can achieve what verse 4 says, that your joy may be fulfilled or may be complete. So let's read all of verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning and what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning, and I like that it's capitalized in the New American Standard, the word of life. Verse 1 is referring to Jesus Christ. We could translate it, that which was from the beginning, that which we heard that which we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And then verse 2, probably could even be better translated, and that life, referring to the word of life of verse 1. And that life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you that eternal life. Again, I think is a reference to Christ, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we're writing to you so that your joy may be made complete. I'm going to ask that we pray, pause right now, pray, and ask for God's help as we attend to this passage of Scripture. Will you pray with me right now? Our God and Father, 
I know in and of myself I am inadequate. Lord, I pray that you would help my voice, help the words coming out of my mouth, that your spirit would, would work effectually upon your people, that by word and spirit we would be transformed in the image of Christ. And Lord, as the gospel is held up and as, as Christ is preached and proclaimed, especially if there are those here that are not in Christ, not believing in Jesus, Lord, that they might even see the, the glory, the beauty, the, the wonder that it is to, to know Christ, that they might even have a touch, a desire to know what this true joy is. Lord, be pleased to use this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother, what I want to do with you this afternoon is start at the end and work backwards. Sometimes that's a helpful way to understand a person's logic. I want to give to you kind of a four-step process of what John is driving at. How do we get from verse 1 to verse 4? How do we get to these things, you know, what we have seen with our, and, and touched with our hands? How do we get to verse 4 that our joy might be fulfilled? That, that's what I want you to walk away with, that you can have access to complete joy, a, a joy that's forevermore, as Psalm 16 puts it. I, wanna, I want to end there, but I'm going to start there. I want us to start in verse 4, this concept that our joy might be fulfilled. I've already alluded to the catechism. What are some other writers say about this text in 1 John 1, 4? Matthew Poole explains it this way. He, he calls it the perfect plenitude and fullness of joy. The perfect plenitude and fullness of joy. Calvin explained it this way. By full joy, he expresses more clearly the complete and perfect felicity which we obtain through the gospel. That is what is being offered to you, beloved, that you might have access to perfect plenitude, perfect felicity, the fullness of joy. This is probably what is behind Augustine when he famously said, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. John Gill elaborates on verse 4. He says that their spiritual joy in this life, which has Christ for its object and is increased by the consideration of his proper deity, his incarnation and mediation. Uh, that, that's, the, that's part two of the sermon, by the way, which I'm not going to get to. But then he later says, in the presence of Christ, where are the fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore, so may express the ultimate glory and happiness of God's people, which is the chief end as of his purposes, promises, and covenants, so of the gospel and the declaration of it. In other words, verse 4 ought not to be an anomaly for a Christian. And if it is, perhaps that could be that you don't understand how joy comes to you, even in a, in a world riddled with sin. And this theme of Having joy is not unique to only 1 John 1, 1 through 4. It's all throughout John's literature. John 3, 29 says this, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hear him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled, Jesus says. John 15, 11, These things I, Jesus, have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Or John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. John 17, 13, but, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Or 2 John 12, 
having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Or Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Again and again and again, the apostle in Jesus Christ himself is communicating that he desires for the saints of God to have joy. And not just any joy, but a completed joy, a, a perfect felicity, the plenitude of happiness. And what John means here in verse 4 of 1 John 1 is that we were not only created to worship God, but that in doing so, when we worship God, when we do what we were created for, it's the very thing that will bring us our greatest joy. It's the very thing that will bring us our highest delight. God commands us to rejoice in him, not because he's an egomaniac, but because in our worship to him, that is the pathway to our greatest experience of joy. God's command for worship is actually a command of love. That God commands unto himself what is of greatest pleasure unto us. For God to command rejoice in the Lord is for God to say this will be the way to have a complete happiness. This is why we're commanded in the Bible, sing with a joyful noise. Delight yourself in the Lord. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Because it's when we worship God, when we do what God has created us to do, that is when we know this fullness of joy. And so in 1 John 1, 1 through 4, verse 4 especially, John comes out swinging. Or if you want a baseball reference, he's swinging for the fences here. He's, he's coming with big doctrine right at the beginning that God's glory and our enjoyment of him is the means to our highest happiness that we might have joy complete, fulfilled. So what is the process? How do we get there? How do we go from verse 1 to verse 4? What is the pathway to a full joy? Well, I, I said that there's a four-step journey, and I just gave you step four. So we got to go backwards, but I'm going to work backwards. I'm going to start with step three and see if we can all get all the way back to step one, because I think step one is the one that we miss. Step one is the one that we typically miss. So what is the pathway to a full joy? Uh, a full joy? What are the steps here? Starting from the end, the, the goal, and the working our way backwards, we go from step one to have full joy, that's the completion, to, verse, uh, to step number two, which is found in verse three, that our fellowship would be with the Father. It says, what we have seen and we heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father. And it's here that we have the fellowship with the Father is where our fullness of joy comes. Our joy is fulfilled when we are in the presence of God, as Psalm 1611 says. This is how eternal life is described in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That you might know God is to have fellowship with God and thus eternal joy, the fullness of joy. And how do we have fellowship with the Father? That's the question that we need to be asking as we look at verse 3. It says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. How do we come to have this fellowship with the Father if indeed fellowship with the Father is how we get to the fullness of joy? Well, verses 2 through 3 tell us very plainly that the means of fellowship with God comes by way of the mediator, Jesus Christ. 
Thus it says in verse 2, And that life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Hopefully you have the Gospel of John in your mind. You can hear John 1.1. You can hear John 1.14. You can hear a lot of these expressions. And the way we have fellowship with God the Father is by way of the mediator, Jesus Christ. And that life, it says in verse 2, Jesus, who was manifested, the apostle says, the one we have seen and, and we've, we've heard and we've touched with our own hands, that life is the word of life. And he's the eternal life. And he is the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Notice the emphasis here on Jesus in his incarnation, the one we've heard, the one we've seen and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And he's said to be with the Father in verse 2, just as in John 1, 1, it says that the word was with God. He was with the Father in perfect Trinitarian union and relation, yet was manifest as is fitting for the one who is eternally begotten of the Father. And so the language of verse 2 harkens back to John 1, 1 and John 1, 2. It's almost as if, I like to think that while John was writing his gospel account, he writes his prologue, John 1, 1 through 18, glorious passage. And he gets to the end of that and says, man, I got to write a letter. This is good stuff. And that's how he comes to 1 John. And then after he finishes 1 John, he goes back and finishes the gospel according to John. I suspect, I don't know. So step three of our four-step process, beginning in step four, that's the goal. Fullness of joy. Step three, how do we get to fullness of joy? We have fellowship with the Father, which comes by means of the, uh, by, by, by way of the mediator, Jesus Christ. Well, what's, what's the step before that? What's the step before that? In verse two and three, again, we see the life was manifested. We have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Verse three it says, we have seen and heard. We have proclaimed to you also. And then it says in the middle of verse three, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the way that we have fellowship with the Father is through the mediator. So the next that we learn is that we need to have fellowship with the mediator. We need to have fellowship with Christ himself. That if the mediator is the way to have fellowship with God, then we need to have fellowship with the mediator. For that's how we have fellowship with the Father, that we might have the fullness of joy. This is how verse 3 plainly tells us that we are to have fellowship not only with the Father, but also with the Son, Jesus Christ, as he is depicted here as the mediator. And then, just as we had to ask the question, how do we have fellowship with the Father? By way of the mediator. We need to ask now, how do we have fellowship with the Son? How do we have fellowship with Christ? And we're told, in verse 3, it's by way of the apostles. This is the purpose of the subject matter in verses 1 and 2. How do we know about Christ? How is Christ brought to us? He says in verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, or that word can even be translated gawked at, what we have, what we have touched or handled with our hands concerning the word of life. He said all that we had experiences with, notice the plural we here, he says we're offering it to you. You want to have fellowship with the, with the son? Here he is. The apostles are saying, we've had intimacy with the Son, and we're offering him to you. And so the mediator is the way to have fellowship with God the Father. 
Because no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. But now we have to ask the question. If we have fellowship with the Father by means of the mediator, and we have fellowship with the mediator by way of the apostles, then we have to ask the question, how do we come by this fellowship with the Son? We said by way of the apostles, we have to be even more specific here. And that's where we come to what I'm calling the apostolic link to joy. What's that first step? What's that first step that brings us to fellowship with the mediator? It's through the apostles, but how? How do we appropriate that to ourselves? And we hear the apostles say that we tangibly knew Christ, that they heard him. And it's not just one sermon, that they, they walked with Christ, they, they watched Christ, they, they were under his ministry. They sat with him, they smelled him, they touched him. And then verses 2 and 3 says, that life was manifested and we have seen. Now we're testifying and we proclaim. We, the apostles, we proclaim. And then again in verse 3, what we have seen, what we have heard, that testimony of Christ, we're proclaiming to you. And even in verse 4, it's not just a verbal proclamation. It's written down in Scripture, these things we write. The apostle link to joy is this. That we have fellowship with the apostles. Look at verse 3. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. Who is the us here? Who has been the first person plural pronoun? We have seen. We have heard. We have touched. This is the, these are the apostles. And now he's saying, what I'm writing to you, church, is that you need to have fellowship with us, the apostles. Now, that's not an expression I hear too much in church settings. We talk about communion with Christ. In fact, that's what we call this, the supper. We talk about communion with the Father. We see that in verse 3. Our fellowship, our communion was with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. But here in verse 3, the apostle says that you are to have fellowship with us, with the apostles. What does that mean? Verse 3 plainly tells us that the apostles, what they experienced, what they experienced is meant to be conveyed to the Christians by way of fellowship with the apostles. This is a glorious thought, brethren. That all the wonder, all the splendor that the apostles enjoyed, seeing Christ, of all the miracles you could, you could visually see, I don't know which one would be the one you wanted to see. Maybe it's rise, you know, bringing someone from the dead. Maybe it's walking on the water. I always wanted to see the bread multiply and feed 5,000 men. That just is an amazing thing to me. The apostles are saying, we saw all that, and here it is for you. That what we have experienced, what we have seen, what we have heard, we are giving it to you. Have fellowship with us that you might have that. Here, John is not saying that what we have had is better than what you can have. He's saying what we have experienced is now for you to have. It might be different in that Christ is not physically with us any longer on the earth. 
But he's saying qualitatively, what you get in Christ is just as good as what we had. So here's John's logic. That the fullness of joy comes by fellowship with God. And fellowship with God comes by way of the mediator. And we have fellowship with God when we have fellowship with the Son, who is the mediator. And fellowship with Christ comes by our fellowship with the apostles, those who handled and saw and, 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 and walked with Christ. And this is the thrust of verse 3, that what they experienced of Christ, what they ha- have seen and observed, it says in verse 3, they are announcing. And the tense in the, in the Greek here is to uh, visualize it, depict it without an end in sight. What happened in history, we're giving to you now. We're proclaiming it, we're announcing it, we're preaching it. It's as if it's still happening. It's as if the apostolic sermon, that apostolic message is still going out. And he says that we're announcing this, that you might have fellowship with us. So again, we ask, how do we have fellowship with the apostles that we might have fellowship with the Son, that we might have fellowship with the Father, that we might have the fullness of joy. That's the logic that John is driving at. How do you get to verse 4? How do you get to the fullness of joy? You have to have fellowship with the Father. That happens through the Son. Well, how do you have fellowship with the Son? You have fellowship with the apostles. Well, how do you do that? Because I'm not an apostle. There's no apostle in here. How does this happen? What is the means of fellowship with the apostles? Here's the answer. This is the apostolic link to joy that I was talking about and hinting at. It's what we're doing right now, saints. It's by the gathering of the church and the elements are passed out in some mysterious way that we have a hard time explaining. Christ is present in the elements. What does Psalm 1611 say? In his presence is fullness of joy. Christ has promised, not by way of smoke machines, not by way of emotive feelings, not by way of what can I conjure in you to to make you feel like Christ is here. He has said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Then he ends in Matthew 28, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Brethren, you can't see him, smell him, feel him, touch him, as John says he did in John in 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. But he's here. He's promised to be here. Do you, do you come expectantly as though Christ is going to meet with you this morning? What a glorious thought. That my Savior would meet with me and I can, I can have fellowship with him. What good news. Oh, I've sinned this week and I've, it's been a struggle for me. How I need the gospel, how I need Christ. Lord, I need you every hour. Let me get to Sunday that I might feast on Christ and that he might give me his presence. I need the fullness of joy. It's not that the apostles have a better or greater experience than we do physically handling Jesus because they have conveyed Jesus to us. You have not been short-shrifted because you didn't see Jesus walk on the earth. Every Lord's Day, saint, brethren, you get Christ offered to you. 
And so you could say, figuratively, what we are seeing right now, what we are experiencing every time I greet the hand of God, when I, when, when I, when I, when I kiss the saint's cheek, or give a holy kiss, or a hug, or I greet, greet the saint by hand, that hand being the body of Christ, I can say what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and our touched with our hands. I can believe that the experience that the apostles had, I have now. I have fellowship with the apostles. That their experience becomes mine. And as I fellowship with the apostles, therefore I'm fellowshipping with the Son whom they are proclaiming. And as I fellowship with the Son, I have fellowship with the Father. And when I fellowship with the Father, my joy is complete. One commentator writes, I don't agree with everything this commentator says, but I'm not going to say who it is, but he says it so well here, I couldn't help. He says, there is a necessary order here that we have no communion with the Father without communion with the Son, no communion with the Son without communion with the apostles, and no communion with the apostles without receiving their written testimony in the communion of the church. Never, ever, ever be tempted, church, to think that there is something better than the preached word. Never think that, you know, maybe we could grow, we could expand the walls of the church if we maybe added drama or we added some kind of lights and sound systems and, and, and smoke machines. That's not what the apostles had, and that's not what they offered. What do they offer? Again and again, verse 2, that life that was manifested to them, what we have seen in now we are testifying. It's a preached message. It's what we're proclaiming to you. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we are proclaiming to you. And then in verse 4, what do they offer? We write to you. Your fellowship with the apostles are, happens when you come together under the name of Christ and worship together, having the word of God being central place. And I'm encouraged because as I've only been here this afternoon, I'm confident that you're doing it. So how can we conclude with some thoughts of application? If Scripture indeed teaches this, that the way to fullness of joy is when we have fellowship with the Father, which happens when we have fellowship with the Son, which happens when we have fellowship with the apostles, when we come under the Word of God preached, the, the apostolic proclamation... If this is true, then I would ask the question, is it your desire to be in the church with God's people? Can you say with David in Psalm 16, verse 3, as for the saints who are on earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, this is a very interesting situation because as I understand it, there's been two churches that have merged together. That could take some intentionality apart on one group to say, we need to get to know the other group because now we are covenanted one with another. And I want to be able to say what Psalm 16.3 says, that as we come together and worship together, that my delight is in those saints that I gather with and I rejoice with and worship with, that we might have Christ given to us together. I love to hear the saints sing in my ear to be encouraged as the offering plate goes by. To have that handshake or that hug. Do, do you desire to be with the people of God? Do you desire to worship with God's people? This is when you come under that fellowship of the apostles. 
Notice it's all in the, the first person plural, we, the apostles, to the second person plural, you and us. You know what's so great about this? Even introverts can still enjoy being with the gathered people of God. You may be one of the most introverted persons, but you can still enjoy the presence of God. Another application, if the pathway to fellowship with Christ and fellowship with God is fellowship with the apostles, if that fellowship grants us full joy, then this may not be as pertinent to you given your situation here. I don't know, but do you desire more opportunities for worship on the Lord's Day, not less? I mean, what, what, what a gift God has given humanity. He gave you a whole day, the entire day. It's not the Lord's afternoon. It's the Lord's day. And how easily we get distracted. We talk about, yeah, fellowship with God, that's my fullness of joy. Now, what's on television? Now, I might be more of a strict Sabbatarian than some of you. I don't know. But I will say this. Scripture clearly says that Sabbath was made for man, that you might enjoy God. I don't know the building situation. I don't know. I have no knowledge of that, so I'm not speaking as one who has intimate awareness of what's going on here. But what does your Lord's Day look like? Does it look like you're enjoying God? In the morning when you prepare, are you spending time, perhaps a good time to catechize your children or have some, 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 some intimate time in prayer as you prepare to meet with the people of God that you might have that apostolic fellowship? When you go home this afternoon or this evening, how do you end the Lord's Day? Let me, let me just ask this question. That if you do not love worshiping God now, fellowshiping with God's people now, if you don't enjoy the apostolic proclamation, the word of God preached, how will you love it more in eternity? Now, I certainly believe remaining sin causes our affections to be mixed with selfishness. No one keeps the Lord's day perfectly. That's why we have the, the prayer of assurance of pardon. But do you have a desire to even mortify that selfishness? Do you have a conflict within, within you raging that you would want to be with God and be with his people and to hear from God? There is a very well-known retired Reformed Baptist pastor. I'll not say his name. He is in the later stages of life where he is losing mental faculties. A very well-known Reformed Baptist pastor who has preached some of the best sermons I've ever listened to. And I happened to overhear a phone call. The person who was being a caretaker answered the phone, and I got to hear this precious brother's voice. Obviously, he's aged now, and so it's, Weaker and it has, doesn't have the kind of force that I was accustomed to hearing from the pulpit. He's so confused, he, he's experiencing dementia, that though it was Friday, 
afternoon. He thought it was Sunday morning, and he's calling his caretaker saying, where's my ride? I want to be, quote, I want to be with God's people. He was so confused, he thought it was the Lord's day, and he wanted to worship with God's people. Not to check off on his list that he's obeyed the law so he can score some marks with Christ, but you know what it was? He knew the fullness of joy is in the presence of God. And Christ now is present with us. And even in his dementia, he wants to be with God's people that he might worship with God's people and have the fellowship of the apostles, that he might have fellowship with the Son, that he might have fellowship with the Father, that he might have joy completed. And this leads then to a future hope. Are you looking forward to a day where there isn't sin besetting you? There isn't conflict and there's not just one day in seven, but you have eternity to see and savor in the glory of God. First John will later say in chapter three, verse two, we know that when he Christ is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Do you look forward to the day where where faith becomes sight? That we know Christ is here, but do we look forward to the day where I can behold my Savior? I can do what John says here in verse 1. I can flee to him. I can run to him. I can touch him. I can grab hold of him and never let my Savior go. You who are in Christ, having believed the apostolic announcement of the visibly risen Lord Jesus, we have the beautiful guarantee of one day that we will see him as he is. Oh, do you long for the day that you can rest your loving embrace in your Savior for all eternity? If so, then every Lord's Day is a foretaste when your faith will be sight. And so I conclude with a final exhortation. If that's what we're looking forward to in the future, I have to ask now, are you trusting in Jesus even now? Are you trusting in Jesus now to bring you out of the destruction and the darkness of sin, all the misery and all the pain that you're experiencing now, all the reasons that you come here for the fullness of joy, are you trusting in Jesus now to free you from sin and wickedness? And to set you on the solid rock of eternal joy that is found in Christ alone. I'm encouraged to see a lot of young people in here. Children, are you listening to me right now? That Christ is offered to you, I'm, I'm assuming, on a weekly basis. I'm encouraged to hear that there's interest that you might want to be baptized. This is when you, when you publicly say, I'm laying hold of Christ by faith. But let me ask you right now, are you trusting in him? Do you take hold of Christ by believing that apostolic message that comes from the Bible, not from the world? That Christ Jesus came to earth to save sinners. That he has died for the ungodly, the just, the righteous, for the unjust, the unrighteous. And this is offered to you. Freely, child and aged adult, it's offered to you freely. It's open to you to have fellowship with Jesus that you might have perfect joy. 
And it comes to you by way of every week that word is preached. That you hear the gospel, you hear the good news. That you see and savor Christ as he is, as he is proclaimed to you having died and risen again. And that you receive that message with an open hand of faith, laying hold of Christ. Oh, beloved, your sin and your misery, it can be forgiven. And by faith in the finished work of Christ, I, I, I pray that you would hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Where is the fullness of joy? It comes through Jesus Christ with God the Father. Savor that joy. Look forward to it every Lord's day. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. What a marvelous, wonderful thing that you have done. That Christ would take the place of sinners. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And we can have fellowship with Christ. We can have union with Christ. As we lay a hold of him by faith, Lord, what glorious news. We thank you for the gospel. May we desire this presence, your presence. May we desire fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, and even fellowship with the apostles every Lord's Day. In Jesus' name we pray.